Welcome to T.R. Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Michael Davis, and I'm thrilled to be your host. I've spent my career working to help people build a durable retirement. It's such an honor to do this work and an even greater privilege to be with the retirement experts we have with us here today. These professionals can help you feel more confident about your own retirement, whether you're planning for retirement or already there. In this episode, we're going to talk about retirement income and the role it plays in planning for and living in retirement. My guests today talk a lot about this subject and are very knowledgeable about it, and I think they present it in a way that's going to help you better plan for your future spending needs. So I'm joined by T.R. Price experts Eric Loopkurt, a certified financial planner professional, and Jeremy Flagg, a chartered retirement planning counselor. Welcome to the show, Eric and Jeremy. It's great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Great to have you both here. This topic of retirement income is one we know that is really quite popular today as more people are nearing retirement in the country. A lot of us throw around the term retirement income, but it's not clear that everybody understands what it actually means. And it might be confusing for a lot of people as a result. What we know is that retirement income is essentially the stream of income generated by your retirement savings that you will use to pay for your daily expenses in retirement. Knowing how much income you will need can be a big part of the planning you do for your own retirement. And if you don't think you're going to have enough money, that can certainly be a big confidence killer. So when we talk about retirement income, Eric, I'm going to turn to you. What are we really talking about? Thanks for the intro, Michael. So really, when we're talking about retirement income at face value, it's income in retirement. So while this sounds pretty straightforward, we know that it is a confusing topic for a lot of people to work through. And if you think about what happens when someone retires, it makes sense that this is difficult. Consider for a moment the shift of working to retirement. If someone was an employee, they often support all of their expenses with a paycheck. This paycheck might come every two weeks. The paycheck might change. Hopefully, it goes up over time. Maybe their expenses will also slowly adjust over time. But in retirement, all of that changes. Oftentimes, when somebody retires, their options expand considerably. Sorting through those retirement income options and their expenses is really the focus of today's conversation. Our industry is focused a lot on getting to a specific number to be able to retire. However, when that happens and a person gets there, a whole new set of questions arise. I'll use an analogy about my dog to illustrate this point. My dog lives to chase squirrels. He's gotten close, but he's never caught one. And I'm not really sure what he would do if he did. He's very focused on that singular goal of catching the squirrel, but I don't know that he would understand what to do when he arrives at that point. It's very similar to retirement. People focus heavily on getting there, but they haven't necessarily fully thought through what to do when that date arrives. Jeremy, how about you? Anything to add? Yeah, Michael. I can tell you in my work with clients that at least anecdotally, most of them have been incredibly successful throughout their investment careers and really done a great job learning and executing on the various strategies available to them to maximize their savings and to grow their wealth. And having said that, Nearly everyone I speak to, though, is really at a loss as to how they should go about unwinding a lifetime of savings and whether or not they can actually afford to live that retirement they've been dreaming of. As an example, just the other day, I was speaking to a client who built a successful business that he was happy that he was going to be able to sell to his daughter as a big part of his retirement plan. He understood that for the first several years of his retirement, that the payments from that purchase would give him the income that his family needed, but then he was really unsure of what he should do next and what would happen. 
He knew he needed to have some more conservative investments to protect his portfolio from fluctuations, but really was unsure as to how the portfolio could be leveraged to make up for that gap once those payments did cease. Ultimately, this is a complex topic, and it's one that I find most people don't really consider until they're staring retirement in the face. So if you're sitting there listening to this now and saying, you know, I have no idea where to start, well, first of all, know that you're certainly not alone, and it's extremely common to be a bit lost. And that's why we're hoping that the conversation today will provide you the information you need to start gaining confidence around what might be best for you and for your family. Excellent. It's very, very good. And to make it more understandable, let's try to provide some examples. So what are some examples of retirement income and what are the options for turning accumulated savings into income during retirement? I'll start with you, Jeremy, and then I'll come to Eric. Michael, most people are going to be eligible for some Social Security payments, and that provides a base of income which they can rely upon throughout their retirement. The average benefit is $1,657 a month in January of 2022, and that amount accounts for roughly half of a retiree's income for 37% of men and 42% of women. So clearly, this is a vital source of recurring income for many, many people. Social Security is also eligible for cost of living adjustments, which can help combat the erosive nature of inflation. On top of Social Security, some people may have other sources of income that they can use to supplement those payments. A few common examples are rental income, wages from part-time work in retirement, interest or dividends from savings accounts and other investments. And then there's guaranteed income streams that could be from pensions with former employers or forms of insurance. And then everybody who has a retirement plan is going to be subject to required minimum distributions when they reach the age of 72. As a caveat to my last statement, I do want to point out that there is an exception in place for any employees that are still actively working and have a employer-sponsored plan. They would not be subject to the RMD from that plan, but would from any other retirement vehicles. How about you, Eric? Jeremy listed some great sources of income, and if you're a listener here, you might be starting to add this up in your head. Yes, I have this income. No, I don't have that source of income. In addition to that, we know that our clients likely have saved throughout their working years and have a portfolio that they're going to be able to use to spend down from. So when you add up those sources of income and you recognize that you might need more to meet your monthly expenses, you then have to think about how to draw down on the capital that you've accumulated. That's terrific. Eric, I'll come back to you on this next question. What if I have a gap between income and expenses? And I assume that most people would be concerned if the income is less than expenses and not the other way. Your thoughts? Yeah, as I mentioned before, definitely take a moment to take inventory of those income sources. You might have Social Security. Maybe you're not fully retiring and you have some part-time employment. Maybe you have a rental property. As you begin to add those up, that really starts to satisfy the income side of that equation. And then you have to compare that to the expense side. So for some listeners, they'll be lucky enough to know that their income meets their expenses. Oftentimes, that's not going to be the case. When you look at the other side of that equation, the expenses, one place to start is by considering something that's referred to as a replacement rate. A replacement rate is really a way to gauge the amount of your pre-retirement income that you'll need to spend to cover retirement expenses. Most people could satisfy their retirement expenses with roughly a 75% replacement rate. 
From there, an investor could get more detailed and begin estimating their individual expenses in retirement. And we'll talk a little bit about how an investor might be able to do so. Jeremy, I'm going to come to you with this next question. For our listeners, should they expect spending needs to change in retirement to fit their lifestyle? And how might that change as they age? That's a great question, Michael. And you know, I think Eric provided a good backdrop with the 75% replacement rate. You know, it's a good starting point for just about anybody when thinking about you know, whether or not they have an income gap that needs to be solved for. And this is probably a great time to share that there's really not an easy answer to this question. And I often have clients come to me and say, you know, hey, my neighbor's doing X, or you know, my brother told me about Y, or I read online that I should be thinking about Z. But you know, the reality is that your specific circumstances are very unlikely to match up with what others might be talking to you about. And what you want out of retirement might be very similar to them, but the specifics around what you actually want to do and the expenses they will incur is probably going to vary, and sometimes dramatically, from your peers. I'll give you a common example that I run across pretty regularly with clients. Most folks, when they retire, they do have a desire to travel, some of them extensively, during those first early years of retirement. And they want to knock off those bucket list activities that you've been adding to your list over the years and enjoy the fact that you know, you're still relatively young and healthy and energized by this new journey you're on. In fact, when you add in the additional free time that you have to entertain friends and family, your total expenses early in retirement for a lot of folks actually could exceed their pre-retirement spending. Although I do find that often these same clients will then reduce their spending during the ensuing decade as they start to back off their travel and some of the entertainment a little bit. However, it's also pretty typical to then see health expenses start to crop up, which increases their need for additional income. Very, very thoughtful, very helpful. Eric, how can someone adequately plan for expenses in retirement? It's really hard to know what you're going to need to spend in retirement. What can be researched or estimated at this stage of their careers? Current expenses are a good starting point. So if you haven't already begun to budget, starting now is a best practice. You can use third-party software, an app, really just a spreadsheet. Any way to get a good understanding of what your expenses are today will set a solid foundation to then estimate what those expenses will be in the future. If you have a good budget now, you'll be able to understand how your expenses might change, what will be added, and then what expense might go away. I'll give a few examples of this. So right now, as a working individual, you're probably saving for retirement. Well, you don't have to save for retirement when you're already retired. You might have commuting expenses associated with employment. You might have a mortgage that you plan to pay off. So if you have your current expenses, those are some examples of items that might actually reduce your need for income. You'll probably have things you want to add. Some of the examples that Jeremy provided are pretty common. Oftentimes, early in retirement, a client will want to travel more frequently. Later in retirement, they might have more healthcare expenses than they anticipated. Very thoughtful and appreciate those examples. It's really, really helpful. One question that comes up quite often, Jeremy, and want to get your thoughts on this. If I have to take money out for retirement, where do I take it from first? There's so many different accounts I could think about. How do I make those decisions? You know, Michael, that's honestly a phenomenal question and one that clients, acquaintances, relatives, friends, it's very similar to what I get asked all the time. And I'll I'll tell you exactly what I tell them, Michael. It really depends. And I mean that. I mean, there's no way to answer that question without additional supporting details that are personalized to your situation and what your goals are. 
I mean, we can provide some generalized guidance, but the best answer will need to be tailored to your situation. Perhaps most important is the timing of the income need, you know, whether or not it's ongoing or point in time, how your portfolio is currently constructed, and of course, the prevailing market conditions at the time. Another thing to consider that might be important is your tax situation, along with how that need that you have for the moment fits into your long-term goals. So to wrap all that up, the right answer probably is to be flexible, since some of those variables that I just listed are completely unknowable in advance. Yeah, you said the magic two words, it depends. <laughs> I know a lot of our listeners here, it depends often, but let's get a little bit more tactical. So what does a client need to know when they need $20,000, for example, for a new roof right now? And when taking money out from investments, which account should they choose for something like that? Now we're talking, Michael. Um, <laughs> so this is a situation we can work with. So generally speaking, for an unexpected need like a new roof, cash should be utilized from an emergency fund that had been previously established. This is a great example that highlights the need to put some of your assets aside to build that adequate emergency fund. As planners, what we're trying to avoid is a situation that would force you to sell a longer-term investment and derail all the great work we've done to this point. So if you haven't yet taken the step, this should be your number one priority. One other point to make here is that because retirees don't have their regular paycheck anymore, they may need more cash on hand than they did when they were working. So where previously you may have felt comfortable with just three or six months of expenses set aside, a retiree is probably better served with 12 to 18 months in an emergency fund to cover needs like this and other unexpected expenses. Very helpful, very thoughtful. So let's deal with the hypothetical situation, Eric. What if a client is retired, living on Social Security, but they anticipate a decrease in income when their spouse retires? Where should they get their money from first? Thanks for the question, Michael. Yeah, this is a pretty typical example. So let's assume for a moment that the client has done the math and they need about $2,000 a month to cover the gap between their Social Security, their income and expenses. So this couple has decided that they'll need to supplement their income with portfolio withdrawals. So they might have multiple accounts. They might have many different investments. How do they choose where to take that money from? So we'll give you a couple examples of how they might navigate these decisions. I'd first start, like any investment decision, with what your goals are. If you think about your retirement goals, it might seem pretty obvious, but you might want to ensure that you don't outlive your money. Or your goal might be to maximize income in retirement. Other investors might want to be passing on a legacy to their heirs. If you think about those goals, there might be different approaches you'd take to the question based on your objective. So, for example, if an investor is interested in maximizing the longevity of their portfolio, they might want to preserve tax-advantaged accounts, like IRAs and 401ks, and instead begin to spend from savings, such as bank accounts, investment accounts, brokerage accounts, things like that. For clients that are interested in prioritizing providing an inheritance to children, they might want to avoid using their Roth IRAs as those accounts grow tax-free and their heirs would then be able to receive tax-free distributions after inheritance. I'll give one more consideration to take into account here. Investors might find themselves in an interesting and unfamiliar tax situation after retirement. So as we discussed before, your income will drop when you retire and you might be in a significantly lower marginal income tax bracket. Or you might actually be in a situation where capital gains have a 0% rate. 
if your income is substantially lower after retirement, you might be able to recognize capital gains or actually even take distributions from tax-advantaged accounts like traditional IRAs and not have to pay tax. That income could be offset for some individuals by the standard deduction. Thoughtful. Really, really thoughtful. Jeremy, any thoughts on that question? I mean, I think Eric did a great job walking through the general thought process involved in making a decision, as well as some very specific examples to help folks understand how they might approach if they were in that circumstance. I will share, you know, again, the answer is it depends, but to give you some general guidance on, you know, how you might think about some additional options, you know, first of all, if you are retired and already taking required minimum distributions, you know, you should probably start there since the government is already compelling those distributions and you're going to be responsible for those taxes regardless of whether you save or invest those proceeds or spend them. From there, you might consider selling any taxable investments since capital gain taxes will be lower than the ordinary income rates paid on the distributions from those retirement accounts. And then lastly, you could consider additional withdrawals from those retirement accounts or other tax-deferred assets. So a few additional considerations for some of the situations that we've just discussed would be to think about the intent for this money. As Eric mentioned, if you have a desire to provide a financial legacy for your heirs, you might consider not making distributions from your Roth IRA as they're generally seen as more advantageous to inherit due to the tax-free nature of the account. Also, you could consider the target allocation for your portfolio and use the cash that you need to generate as an opportunity to rebalance the portfolio at the same time. For example, if you're currently overweight in one particular sub-asset class, you might consider selling the assets in that area to generate the cash you need which will simultaneously bring your overall allocation back in line with your target. Selfful. Eric, do people sometimes struggle with the idea of having to pay themselves from their own money? Is that something people really have to get their heads around? <laughs> I've actually seen it firsthand recently, so I'll, I'll go into a bit of a, a personal story here. So coincidentally, as we've been preparing for this episode, my mom is about to retire in just a few months, and we've been having this exact conversation. She's a certified public accountant, a CPA, a lifelong investor, certainly not a novice, but I find that in our early conversations, the idea of no longer saving and actually beginning to draw down from her investments is very uncomfortable. And it makes sense, right? She's spent 30 years or so, maybe I shouldn't go into too many details there, but we'll, we'll allude to her age, let's just say a long time saving for retirement, accumulating wealth, and the idea that she's not going to see that number increase anymore and actually set a plan up to decrease those investments to decumulate feels very counterintuitive to her. So it's been really eye-opening for me to see this personal situation unfolding that really exposes all of the behavioral biases that we have as investors. Eric, I'd love to be a fly on the wall at your Thanksgiving dinner. Your mother's a CPA, you're a CFP. This is really, really Interesting just... conversations. Well, it depends on who you are. We think they're interesting. <laughs> How about you, Jeremy? Any thoughts on that question? I'm actually going to agree completely with the way Eric outlined all that. I think it highlights perfectly the struggle that investors have when flipping the switch and needing to spend rather than accumulate. So I'm going to take it a slightly different way. You know, a lot of clients have goals to gift money either to their heirs or charities and causes that are important to them, but they don't have enough guaranteed income 
in order to be able to accomplish that while they're living. So most of them will think, oh, I'll just wait until I die and then give them the money then. But in their hearts, they really know that the best time to provide those gifts is probably sooner than later, and certainly while they can see the benefit of those gifts with their own eyes. One of the things that we talk about is you know, going through the idea of understanding what those expenses are because they don't want to be in a situation where they regret giving away those dollars and then they needed it at some point and they have to go back to their children and ask for help. And I certainly sympathize with the sentiment and agree that the scenario should be avoided for quite honestly obvious reasons. But having said that, I've seen firsthand the confidence my clients have gained once we've gone through the planning process and I'm able to show them how they can provide those gifts they're looking for while they're living, see the impact for themselves, while still ensuring that they are able to maintain the resources needed to adapt if their spending needs increased unexpectedly later in life. So it's just really important to go through this exercise that way you understand what it is you're actually capable of. Michael, perhaps less common are those clients who have lived well below their means during their working years, which has allowed them to amass a substantial nest egg compared to their spending habits. And now they might be wondering what to do with this pile of money that continues to grow. A lot of these individuals I've found struggle to spend money in retirement after building a lifetime of thrifty habits. Part of what I help these people with is understanding that by spending more, they're not really putting themselves at risk. And even if they don't have a desire to spend on themselves, this is an opportunity for them to provide gifts to charities or their family to help support the things that they care about the most. Really, really helpful. So this has been a great conversation. Just such great information has been shared. And Eric, I hope you're going to encourage your mom to listen to this episode. Absolutely. I think it would be helpful for our listeners to have some key takeaways from you, too, on things they should sort of walk away with from this discussion. Eric, I'll start with you. Just a few things that you would use to summarize today's conversation. Thanks, Michael. As Jeremy mentioned before, there's no one-size-fits-all, so I would really encourage listeners to consider their retirement goals and develop a strategy based on those goals. It might be the maximizing the longevity of their portfolio. It might be all about maximizing current income, or it could be passing investments onto heirs or charity. Once you understand your objectives, that really should drive your strategy. And if you need help with this, don't worry, you're not alone. Feel free to contact a qualified financial professional that's trained to help you navigate these important decisions. How about you, Jeremy? Would welcome your thoughts. Michael, I'm going to sound a bit like a broken record here, but because I think it can be really beneficial, and as I previously mentioned, I've seen the confidence it inspires in my clients, I want to reiterate Eric's last point. If you aren't sure about what you should do, or if you can actually put in place the plans you've been dreaming about, then find a financial professional that you trust who can help you work through what is needed to set you up for success. The other key takeaway is that you should start by covering your bases. It's great to be thinking about how you can accomplish your dreams and wishes, but really the most important thing you can do to set yourself up for a successful retirement is to build a solid foundation for the rest of your finances to rest upon. This ultimately means ensuring that you have an adequate emergency fund and a solid understanding of what expenses you're going to face in retirement. From there, you can think about what an appropriate asset allocation looks like for you that'll allow you to support your longer-term goals. Thank you so much. Really powerful. And it is hard to believe, but our time is just about up here. It's been such a fun conversation. And before we go, we do think it's helpful to give our listeners sort of a suggested next step, a parting thought. Eric, I'll start with you. First step is probably to draft a retirement budget now. 
and understand that your life and situation will change, and that's okay. Spending will need to be dynamic in retirement and will change year by year. But getting started now is a great idea. Jeremy, thanks again for giving me this opportunity to speak with you and Eric today. I think anybody listening today should really take the time needed to deeply think about what you want your retirement to actually look like. Envision what activities you want to engage in, determine what your priorities are, and where you might be willing to make trade-offs if necessary. Because without this backdrop, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to go through the other steps we've talked about today. At the end of the day, your plan needs to be personalized to your goals and situation. And if you haven't taken the time to know what you want out of your retirement, then we're just making guesses about how to best help you accomplish your retirement goals. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Great to have you both here. Again, I'm Michael Davis. I want to thank you all for listening this season. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, be well, and I wish you all many confident tomorrows to come. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price, invest with confidence, retire with confidence, the Bighorn Sheep design, and confident conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated, distributor, T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated, investment advisor.